greater strictness. And so um, I've known a lot of people in here for a very long time. And uh, I, again, I don't take this lightly. And I'm not up here because I'm better than anyone. I'm not up here because I'm more holy. Um, I'm up here because God has made it crystal clear to me through certain circumstances and through um, just giving me a desire to be up here um, that he's called me to do this to a certain extent. So, um, you know, Christianity or Christians, ironically, are the most persecuted group of people in the world, and um, yet they're the most loving and peaceful group of people in the world. And so uh, there are many men and women and pastors and teachers and the rest of the world who risk their lives to do this every day. And so if I uh, cowered away from sitting in front of you all and attempting to teach you something, then shame on me. So um, so anyways, I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to get into Genesis. Uh, Mike finished up Revelation, and uh, at AV Chapel we do ex expository Bible teaching, verse by verse. We don't avoid everything, so we're going to start right over in Genesis. So let's pray. Lord, thank you. Um, thank you for AV Chapel, and thank you for um, just the opportunity to... Uh, uh, to be here this morning and to get to uh, try to proclaim your word, Lord. It's it's uh, something uh, that I have to say to you too, Lord. I don't take lightly. And um, Lord, I just ask that uh, you would guard my mouth uh, from saying anything that uh, is not of you or is wrong and um, that you would just, uh, your spirit would be here and help us to understand um, uh, the very first chapter of the book uh, that you've given us of your word, Lord, uh, that describes to us our origins, and so, uh, Lord, thank you again, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I gotta have this to the side, I got my PowerPoint down here. All right, so Genesis chapter one, um, I have a little outline uh, there on the first slide here, uh, so <clears throat> other than the very first verse of the Bible, which most of us know, um, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Um, after that, verses 2 through 10, uh, God molds the earth and separates it from heaven. Verses 11 through 13, God creates vegetation on the earth. Uh, 14 through 19, God creates the lights in the expanse of the universe, in the sun and the moon, uh, and he says to give light on the earth. Um, verses 20 through 25, God creates all living things on earth. Um, 26 through 27, God creates man on earth, his, his most prized creation. And 28 through 31, uh, God blesses men, men and gave us dominion over the earth and over all living things. Um, let's see here. So chapter 1 is the chapter of our origins as human beings. Uh, it's literally what Genesis means. It means origins or beginnings. Uh, Genesis makes... Uh, atheists laugh, and I, I can't talk about this chapter in Genesis without talking about atheism, um, but the reality is either God created everything in six days, or he didn't. Um, atheism, if you Google it, this is the definition you'll get, disbelief or a lack of belief in the existence of God or gods. Um, atheists hold to nobody times nothing equals everything, and I don't know about you, but I don't have enough faith to believe in that. Uh, no moral standard, uh, atheists have no moral standard by which to judge anything. They believe that all of life matter and matter uh, are by random chance, 
and that we simply uh, dance to our DNA, as the famous atheist uh, Richard Dawkins said. Uh, they think that we're just moist robots. We have no purpose in life, that we're just, um, basically what separates us from your dog is evolutionary steps. So the question is, why would anyone believe in this? Why would anyone believe atheism is true? I mean, we've all seen mountains, we've all seen, uh, we've all had relationships with other people, and um, to me this just seems, uh, you know, obviously as a believer we think, well, why would anyone believe in this? And uh, the Bible gives us some very clear answers. Um, atheistic evolution and Christian creation are so opposite that it is evident that one exists solely to cause doubt about the other. And a couple years ago when I was uh, kind of exposed to apologetics for the first time, um, I, this kind of hit me like a ton of bricks and I realized that, um, you know, this so-called science that says everything is billions of years old and that, uh, you know, we... We used to be apes. Um, this this just had to. Be, this is so different from what my Bible says that it became clear that one exists solely to cause doubt about the other. And um, as believers, we know who would do this. It's Satan. And in John eight forty four, uh, Jesus he he talks about this and he calls Satan out for who he really is. And this is when Jesus is basically scolding the Pharisees uh, for being such hypocrites. John eight forty four, Jesus says, You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. He is a liar and the father of lies. So this lie of atheistic evolution comes straight from Satan. That's, that's the only um, explanation for it. Uh, but the reason people are atheists and the reason they want to hold to such a, um, such a thing as atheism is because, there, is because there's no objective standard of morality, which frees us up, if you believe in that, to do whatever is good in your own eyes. Um, there is no standard of right and wrong other than what your emotions and what your feelings tell you in the moment. And so the atheist can create his own standard of right and wrong, which will dictate what he does and the way he lives. Again, uh, scripture covers this, and, and Jesus um, speaks on this uh, in John three, eighteen and 20, and this is after he told Nicodemus that unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus said, he who believes in him is not judged, uh, or he who believes in him is not judged. Uh, he who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Uh, Paul echoes this in Romans, in the first chapter of Romans, uh, chapter 1, 18 and 20. This is Paul, for the wrath of God is revealed from, the heaven, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. And again in the second chapter of Romans 14 and 15, 
These not having the law, the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written on their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. And so that is why anyone would believe in such a thing is because it frees you up to believe in what you want to believe in and do what you want to do. Um, this includes, uh, oh, I'm sorry, the other point I wanted to make was, uh, although atheists lack a belief in God, um, they still have the burden of proof to explain the way reality can be the way it is without God. And so what you'll find is when an atheist debates a Christian, um, they won't give good reasons for what they believe in. Rather, they'll have complaints about God, and they'll have complaints about they think God sh the way God should run the universe. Um, this includes objective moral laws, laws of logic, the genetic code, and so on. All these things that just scream that there is a creator. Atheists want to point out, well, why would a good God allow bad things to happen uh, to good people? Uh, you know, they don't give any good evidence. They just basically have complaints about God. And I like this, uh, this quote by Frank Turek. Uh, you can read a book and deny there is an author, but there would be no book unless there was an author. Likewise, you can know objective moral laws and deny God exists, but there would be no objective moral laws unless God exists. So, um, yeah, we see that, uh, that atheism is, is kind of a, uh, a hard thing to believe in. Can you go to the next slide, please? Oop. Okay. So verse 1, moving on to Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, this is, first of all, I'm not going to cut, I mean, I can't, it's not possible for me to cover all that's in the first chapter in an hour, and nor do I have the capacity to do that anyways. But um, this, there is so much to be said about this first verse in the Bible. And really, this is the greatest miracle of all time. If this is true, if God created everything from nothing, um, the heavens and the earth, then all other miracles that we read about in the Bible are at least possible. Um, and verse 3 tells us how he did it. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God literally spoke everything into existence. This, imp this implies that it was effortless for him. He didn't strain. He didn't, uh, you know, exert himself in any way. He simply spoke, and it happened. Um, verse 1 seems to be a summary of verses 2 through 19 when God creates the heavens and the earth. He separates heaven from earth, and he kind of finishes molding earth. Um, and we have to remember that in creating all physical things, the heavens and the earth, God designed them to be governed by immaterial and invisible things, such as the laws of nature, um, which he also created and fine-tuned to complement all of the physical um, uh, creation. So verse two, verses 2 through 10, uh, for me, uh, can be a little confusing, so I wanted to try to give a little bit of context. So I'm going to read verses 2 through 10, and then we're going to cover some of the context. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called uh, the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. 
Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse, excuse me, from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So um, this kind of gave me intellectual constipation the first time I read it, and I had no idea what was going on. Um, so verse 2, when it says the earth was formless and void, just, this just implies that the earth was empty and incomplete. God wasn't finished molding it. God wasn't finished decorating it with all the things that he would eventually um, uh, do on the earth. Uh, so verse 3, uh, when he says, let there be light, um, if you read on, as we will, we'll find in verse 16 that God didn't create the sun and the moon yet. Uh, he hadn't created the stars and the moon and the, um, the sun to give light on the earth. So my question was, well, where was the light coming from? And Mike actually covered this uh, not too long ago in Revelation. Revelation uh, 21, um, 21, 23 This is when God was talking about the new Jerusalem. And in verse 23, he says, The city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the lamb. So God was literally the light here. And it's no different than this verse in the beginning of Genesis. There was no need for a sun or moon yet because God was the light. Um, verses 4 and 5 God establishes days, mornings, evenings, daytime, and nighttime, uh, verses 6 through 10. Um, I'll, I'll read those, verse 6 through 10. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the water. So verse 6 is, is basically God saying, you know, this is what's going to happen. Verses 7 through 10 is basically the explanation of what just happened. So God made... Uh, the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. So literally what God is doing here is he is separating heaven and earth and he is uh, uh, finishing molding earth into what it would be and basically making the dry land which separates uh, uh, the seas uh, and so on. Okay, at this point... Mike is thinking, oh Lord, this boy is about to talk about aliens. Why did I let him up here? He sees the picture in the middle and he's getting nervous. Um, but I'm going to read verses 11 through 25 and then we'll get to this slide. Um, then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees, uh, yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a third day. Then God said, let there, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heaven, heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. 
God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens uh, and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the water swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on earth. There was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth, the beasts of the earth, uh, after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and every, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. So what I want to point out is Earth's uniqueness in the role of creation. Um, we see this actually in verse one. God doesn't just say God created the heavens because we would all naturally think that Earth is part of the heavens, but He lists Earth separate from the heavens. Uh, this, is, this implies it was unique in creation. Um, the rest of, this is what I want to point out, the rest of creation, of the creation account, either centers around earth or it occurs on earth. And so even when we're hearing God say that he created the lights and the moon and the sun and basically the rest of the universe, um, verse 15 says why he did it. Let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens. Why? To give light on the earth. And it was so. Uh, verse 17. God placed them in the expanse of, of the heavens to give light on the earth. And so, even the rest of the universe was created for earth's purposes. God created these things um, around earth because it was on earth that he would finish his creation and place his most prized creation, humankind, or human, human beings, on the earth. And so this is why, and this has come up more than once in conversations I've had with people about um, Christianity or just witnessing opportunities that I've had, is people always bring up, well, what about, what about other life? We know that the universe is so big, it's not a bad question to ask, is there anything else out there? Because as time has went on, we've learned just how vast the universe is. And so naturally, curiosity would ask, well, I wonder if there's anything else out there. And this is why I would submit to you that there is not, is because God makes it very clear um, and separates earth um, so that he can create all of the rest of his creation, which he lists out for us, he gives us, uh, that he does in six days. And he either does it on earth or for the purposes of earth. Um, so, and don't forget that the United States Air Force has a $153 billion um, budget. So it might explain all those weird videos you see on YouTube. So The other point is uh, uh, that we see here and that I wanted to make uh, is that creation, according to Genesis 1, occurs in six days. Notice it's underlined and bold, six days. 
God reminds us again and again of this throughout this chapter. Verses 5, 8, 13, 19, 23, and 31 all say the same thing. They make it crystal clear. There was evening and there was morning. Um, God tells us we cannot mysticize this. We cannot read into this something that is not there. There is no room for billions of years here, people. This is six days. And God says this very plainly in this first chapter. And we can't use our laws of logic and the laws of nature that we know um, to explain it. That's what makes it a miracle. And we covered that uh, in the first verse. It's, it's the greatest miracle of all time that God spoke everything into being from nothing. And if we are willing to budge on this, then the rest of the Bible and other issues will soon follow. It's a slippery slope. When you start taking away from God's word or adding to it, it is a slippery slope to make this book say whatever you want it to say. And I want to quote John MacArthur here because he said it uh, really clear. He said, The doctrine of creation as identified in the book of Genesis is foundational, is where God starts his story. You can't change the beginning without impacting the rest of the story and the ending. In the Bible, God speaks, and he speaks in Genesis 1 and says he created the heavens and the earth. He is the one who spoke in Genesis 1-1 and is who speaks and who is speaking right through Scripture till its very end. When you tamper with Genesis 1, you are tampering with the word of the living God, and you are taking the divine account of real creation and real space and real time, and you're saying, it's not accurate, it's not legitimate, it's not the truth. That is a serious assault, and it loosens up Scripture from reality and divorces religion, the true religion, from reality. That is severe. So... Um, it reminds me of Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and 17 that says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Um, and so the question that, that is posed here is, is this a secondary issue? And to you it may be, uh, to me it is not. Uh, if, again, if we're willing to budge, if we're willing to open... God's word that he has given us to reveal himself uh, to us, and we read the very first thing he says to us about our origins and where we came from, we say, oh, no, so-called science disproved that, so I can't believe that. Well, then, as we read the rest of scripture and we come to a hard thing, are we just going to do the same thing then? Are we just going to read in what we want scripture to say when it says that we should abstain from sexual immorality and we should do all these other things and we should live in righteousness and uh, we should love our neighbor as ourselves, and we should give to those who need because those are hard things too well we can make those we can make those mean whatever we want and so i would just encourage you as you read genesis 1 take god at his word and you have to believe in him that he created the the world and everything that is in it and on it in six literal days and that is that's period and we cannot Again, we cannot read in millions of years or billions of years into this. Um, it, it would be doing us a disservice, and it would be, um, it would be a slap in the face uh, to God, which we, we can't do. Moving on, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle uh, and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them 
And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and roll over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant, every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth, which has life, I have given every green plant for food. Now, time out. Unfortunately, uh, this means that, I guess, before uh, the fall, every, everyone was a, veg, a vegetarian. So, uh, if you're look, trying to look at the glass half full, just be happy we get to eat meat now. So, um, Verse 29, then God said, behold, oh, I already read that. Verse, uh, where's verse 30? Verse 30, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth, which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, this is the first time he says this, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a sixth day. Up until this uh, point, everything that God had made, he said it was good. Um, you'll notice that after men come, or he creates man in his image, uh, all of creation becomes very good. Um, this is where uh, the Imago Dei, which is Latin for the image of God, this is where we get this. We bear the image of God, and uh, that is a significant thing. This is also the first spot where we see uh, evidence of the Trinity or the triune God. Uh, the same triune God that in Matthew 28, uh, when Jesus is, uh, this is the last thing he said, by the way, which emphasizes uh, the need for evangelism and witnessing and sharing the gospel with all the nations. So um, just remember that, that this is the last thing that Jesus said before he left the earth. But anyways, we see the Trinity here, and he, uh, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, so this is the first evidence of the triune God. You'll notice the plurality in verse 26 and 27. Let us make God in our image according to our likeness. Um, again, we, we see this, this Imago Dei. This is where we get this. Is we get the image of God. And this is why human life is so precious and important is because we bear, uh, to a degree, the, the image of God. Um, I want to read this, this quote. I have a couple quotes for you uh, left, but it says it so good that I couldn't not read it. Theologian Douglas Kelly said that there is no doubt that the biblical vision of man as God's creature, whom he made in his own image, has had the most powerful effect on human dignity, on liberty, on the expansion of rights, of the individual, on political systems, on the development of medicine, on every area of culture. How different from the humanistic viewpoint of man is merely an evolved creature, not made in God's image because there is no God. Such a premise has enabled the Marxist totalitarian states to conveniently liquidate millions of their citizens because of the assumption that there is no transcendent person in whose image those citizens are created. No being to give those citizens a dignity and a right to exist beyond what the state determines. So going back to atheistic evolution, it's not only uh, hard to believe, but it's dangerous. Uh, that's the thing that, this is the thing that makes human life so important uh, in contrast to um, 
evolution, which says that, you know, we're just, uh, we're all dancing to our DNA, and uh, we have no ultimate purpose, and we have no uh, value above any other living, uh, living form. The Bible says otherwise. The Bible says that we have, um, we have uh, this value, uh, this transcendent value, because we bear the image of God. We bear this imago Dei. Uh, theologian, theologian Wayne Grudem said it this way, Since man has sinned, he is certainly not as fully like God as he was before. His moral purity has been lost, and his sinful character certainly does not reflect God's holiness. His intellect is corrupt by falsehood and misunderstanding. His speech no longer continually glorifies God. His relationships are often governed by selfishness uh, rather than love and so forth. Though man is still in the image of God in every aspect of life, some parts of that image have been distorted or lost. And so, um, because, as you know, you read in Genesis, chapter 3 comes, and sin enters the picture, um, we don't bear the perfect image of God, but we still bear his image nonetheless. And that's what gives human beings worth, and that's what gives us, um, you know, uh, a value of higher than your dog, okay? Um, so this is why human life is so important. In the same article I read, it says this, it's only because man keeps his image of God, even in a broken or distorted form, that man is redeemable and worth redeeming. Without it, God would have no reason to send his son to die on our behalf. And so if you're looking for the gospel in the first chapter of Genesis, this is where it comes in. Um, this is why, because uh, God could have just uncreated us as easily as he created us. He could have just... Um, you know, taking us off out of the picture just as easily as he, uh, you know, created us. But he didn't do that, and this is why. It's because we are worthy to be redeemed, not because of what we've done, but because we bear the image of God. We bear the Imago Dei. So uh, that is that's the last uh, major point that I wanted uh, to make. And uh, I'll close with this, and I don't mean to tug any heartstrings too hard. Um, on the on the left there, you see that was my sister Erin. She died in two thousand three of CMV. Erin um, bears the Imago Day. On the right, I have Green Monkey, a racehorse that sold for sixteen million dollars in two thousand nine. Now, evolution would say that Green Monkey is worth more and is more valuable than Erin, but we know that that is not true. Why isn't that true? It's because Erin bears the Imago Day. Erin never fed herself. Erin never uh, put her own clothes on. She couldn't walk. Uh, she, she couldn't talk, although you can see how contagious her smile was. Um, she never contributed to the workforce and society, and yet she is infinitely more valuable than Green Monkey. And it's because she bears the Imago Dei, and it makes her just as valuable as you and I. So, um, when you read Genesis 1, and you get to verse 26, and you read that God made us in his image. And then you look at humanity, and you see, um, you know, you see the perils of the fall and sin in humanity. And you see that uh, mankind is, is broken. And you see the, just, um, just the, the desperation in human beings. And you, you look at some people, and it's easy to say, well, you know, you see the lostness, and it's, it's sometimes it's overwhelming, uh, especially uh, for those of us who work in law enforcement. Um, 
you know, we get to see the underbelly of society, but uh, you have to have compassion on people. And when you look at people, you have to remember that no matter what circumstances they're in or no matter what disease um, challenges their body, um, they still bear the Imago Dei, and it makes them infinitely more valuable than your dog or the $16 million racehorse or any other living thing. So um, that being said, um, hopefully from Genesis 1 we can learn that uh, all of human life is infinitely valuable. And uh, it's infinitely valuable because uh, we bear the image of God. And it's the reason that Jesus came. He lived the perfect life that none of us could live. Um, And after Genesis 3, God starts the redemption story. And that's all the Bible is, is a story about how God redeemed mankind. And you can read about it a thousand years before Jesus even came on the picture. And Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering servant um, and prophesize Jesus, well, uh, that's, that's good news for us. And so uh, anytime I get up here, I want to try to share the gospel. And uh, this, is, this is the avenue that I can do it this morning, is that, uh, you know, human beings, we have uh, the image of God, and we have the likeness of God, and therefore we are worth redeeming. And it's not because of anything that we've done. It's not because we're good people. It's because the simple fact that God created us in his image and he wants a relationship with us. And so um, I know that, uh, again, going back to the whole atheistic evolution and, uh, you know, we've been taught basically our whole life that the earth is millions of years old and that uh, the so-called science disproves everything that, um, that our Bible says. But um, I would just encourage you to um, look further into that because there's a lot of answers out there that I'm not smart enough, nor do I have the time to go into today. But... Um, uh, I would just encourage you to believe in Genesis 1 and take God at his word that he created everything in six days and that he created us in his image. And that is why, um, that is why we should treat every human being uh, with equal respect. So, Lord, thank you, for, uh, thank you for your word and thank you for the fact that you uh, created us in your image and you gave us your likeness. Um, Lord, that... That is what makes us worth redeeming. And uh, Lord, we admit to you that uh, it's not because of anything that we have done that we're uh, worthy of redemption, uh, but it's because of what you have done. And um, Lord, I pray for anyone in here who um, who doesn't know you and who doesn't have a true relationship with you, Lord, that they would come to you in humility and they would um, they would admit their sinfulness and that you would give them repentance. Um, as you gave me six years ago, Lord, just to see that I'm a sinner and that without your grace, uh, I'll spend eternity in hell and that uh, you, you loved me enough to die for me and that uh, you made a way for us to be right with you. Uh, so, Lord, thank you for that truth and um, I just pray that that would resonate in our hearts. And um, So, Lord, thank you for all that you've done and all that you're continuing to do in our community and I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's close with one more song. I was thinking about that. Thank you, Drew. Um, I was looking at Psalm 8 this morning, and in Psalm 8,